Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Celia Herrera Rincon has long been interested in brains. When the neuroscience postdoc was 11 years old in Spain, she was walking her dogs in the woods and came upon a snake. She says it was beautiful, but dead. And at that moment, she realized she wanted to see what was inside its head. So she took it home and used kitchen knives and tweezers to take a look. Years later, she's still doing that at the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University. But this time around, she's exploring how an African clawed frog would develop without a brain. lab, the tadpole embryo of an African clawed frog looks like a tiny bean. It's one day old. It doesn't even have a heart yet. Herrera Rincon carefully probes where the head would eventually form. With a small incision, she removes the brain. The frog embryo, unperturbed, remains alive. Herrera Rincon works with her supervisor, Michael Levin, a software engineer turned developmental biologist. They're investigating whether the brain and nervous system play a crucial role in laying out the patterns that dictate the shapes and identities of emerging organs, limbs, and other structures. For the past 65 years, the focus of developmental biology has been on DNA as the carrier of biological information. Researchers have typically assumed that genetic expression patterns alone are enough to determine embryonic development. But Levin isn't satisfied with that explanation. He wonders, where does shape come from? What makes an elephant different from a snake? DNA can make proteins inside cells, but Levin points out there's nothing in the genome that directly specifies anatomy. Levin says tissues need spatial cues from other sources in the embryo in order to develop properly. He and his team believe that at least some of that guidance is electrical. In recent years, Levin's lab has been working on tadpoles and other simple creatures. The lab has amassed evidence that the embryo is molded by bioelectrical signals, particularly ones from the young brain long before it's even a functional organ. If the results can be replicated in other organisms, they could change our understanding of the roles of electrical phenomena and the nervous system in development, and perhaps more widely in biology. Sui Huang is a molecular biologist at the Institute for Systems Biology, a nonprofit research facility in Seattle. Huang says Levin's findings will shake up the field. He says if Levin's work holds up, many developmental biologists will be stunned to see that the construction of the body plan is not due to local regulation of cells, but is centrally orchestrated by the brain. Spanish neuroscientist and Nobel laureate Santiago Ramon y Cajal once had a name for the brain and neurons, the electrically active cells that process and transmit nerve signals. He called them the butterflies of the soul. The brain is a center for information processing, memory, decision-making, and behavior. Electricity figures into its performance of all of those activities. But it's not just the brain that uses bioelectric signaling. The whole body does. All cell membranes have embedded ion channels. Those are protein pores that act as pathways for charged molecules or ions. 
Differences between the number of ions inside and outside a cell result in an electric gradient, the cell's resting potential. Vary this potential by opening or blocking the ion channels, and you change the signals transmitted to, from, and among the cells all around. Neurons do this as well, but even faster. To communicate among themselves, they use molecules called neurotransmitters that are released at synapses in response to voltage spikes. The neurons send ultra-rapid electrical pulses over long distances along their axons, the thread-like part of nerve cells. Information is encoded in the pulse's pattern to control muscle activity. Levin has thought about hacking networks of neurons since the mid-1980s. Back then, he was a high school student in the suburbs near Boston, writing software for pocket money. One day, while browsing a small bookstore in Vancouver at Expo 86 with his father, he spotted a volume called The Body Electric by Robert O. Becker and Gary Selden. He learned that scientists had been investigating bioelectricity for centuries. The work goes back to Luigi Galvani's discovery in the 1780s that nerves are animated by what he called animal electricity. But as Levin continued to read up on the subject, he realized that even though the brain uses electricity for information processing, no one seemed to be seriously investigating the role of bioelectricity in carrying information about a body's development. He thought it would be cool if we could comprehend how the tissues process information and what tissues were, in a sense, thinking about before they evolved nervous systems and brains. Levin started digging deeper. He ended up getting a biology doctorate at Harvard University in morphogenesis, the study of the development of shapes in living things. He worked in the tradition of scientists like Emil Dubois-Raymond, a 19th century German physician who discovered the action potential of nerves. In the 1930s and 40s, American biologists Harold Burr and Elmer Lund measured electric properties of various organisms during their embryonic development. They studied connections between bioelectricity and the shapes animals take. They weren't able to prove a link, but Levin says they were moving in the right direction. The work of Burr and Lund occurred during a time of widespread interest in embryology. Even English mathematician Alan Turing, famed for cracking the Enigma Code, was fascinated by embryology. In 1952, he published a paper suggesting that body patterns like pigmented spots and zebra stripes arise from the chemical reactions of diffusing substances, which he called morphogens. But organic explanations like morphogens and bioelectricity didn't stay in the limelight for long. In 1953, James Watson and Francis Crick published The Double Helical Structure of DNA. And in the decades since, Huang says the focus of developmental biology has been on DNA as the carrier of biological information, with cells thought to follow their own internal genetic programs, prompted by cues from their local environment and neighboring cells. Richard Nucitelli, chief science officer at Pulse Biosciences, says the rationale was that since DNA is inherited, information stored in the genes must specify all that's needed to develop. It was thought that tissues were told how to develop at the local level by listening to neighboring tissues, and each region patterned itself from information in the genomes of its cells. 
The extreme form of this view is to explain everything by saying it's in the genes or DNA. Huang says this trend has been reinforced by the increasingly powerful and affordable DNA sequencing technologies. But he says we need to zoom out to get a better view. Herrera Rincon and others say the tide seems to be turning. She calls it too simplistic to consider the genome as the only source of biological information. Last year, Levin and Chris Fields, an independent scientist who works in the area where biology, physics, and computing overlap, published a paper. They argued that cells' cytoplasm, cytoskeleton, and membranes also encode important patterning data and serve as systems of inheritance alongside DNA. And bioelectricity is making a comeback, too. In the 1980s and 90s, Nucitelli, along with the late Lionel Jaffe at the Marine Biological Laboratory, Colin McCaig at the University of Aberdeen, and others, applied electrical fields to cells. They showed that many cells are sensitive to bioelectric signals and that electricity can induce limb regeneration in non-regenerative species. Masayuki Yamashita of the International University of Health and Welfare in Japan says many researchers forget that every living cell, not just neurons, generates electric potentials across the cell membrane. He says the electrical signal works as an environmental cue for intercellular communication, orchestrating cell behaviors during morphogenesis and regeneration. But Levin says no one was really sure why or how this bioelectric signaling worked. Most still believe that the flow of information is very local. Still, what applied electricity was interacting with and how the responses were triggered remained mysteries. That's what led Levin and his colleagues to start tinkering with the resting potential of cells by changing the voltage of cells in flatworms over the last few years, they produced worms with two heads or with tails in unexpected places. In tadpoles, they reprogrammed the identity of large groups of cells at the level of entire organs, making frogs with extra legs and changing gut tissue into eyes. They did it simply by hacking the local bioelectric activity that provides patterning information. And because the brain and nervous system are so active electrically, the researchers also began to probe their involvement in long-distance patterns of bioelectric information affecting development. In 2015, Levin, his postdoc, Vaibhav Pai, and other collaborators showed experimentally that bioelectric signals from the body shape the development and patterning of the brain in its earliest stages, by changing the resting potential in the cells of tadpoles as far from the head as the gut, they appeared to disrupt the body's blueprint for brain development. The resulting tadpoles' brains were smaller or even non-existent. Brain tissue grew where it shouldn't. Unlike previous experiments with applied electricity that simply provided directional cues to cells, Levin says in their work, they know what they've modified, the resting potential, and they know how it triggers responses. Levin says it changes how small signaling molecules enter and leave cells. The right electrical potential lets neurotransmitters go in and out of voltage-powered gates, called transporters, in the membrane. 
Once in, they can trigger specific receptors and initiate further cellular activity, allowing researchers to reprogram identity at the level of entire organs. Levin says the work also showed that bioelectricity works over long distances, mediated by the neurotransmitter serotonin. The researchers started by altering the voltage of cells near the brain, but then they went farther and farther out. Levin says they chose to do that because their data from prior papers showed that tumors could be controlled by electric properties of cells very far away. Levin says they showed that cells at a distance mattered for brain development, too. Then Levin and his colleagues decided to flip the experiment. They asked, what if the brain held at least some patterning information for the rest of the body, if not the entire blueprint? If so, could the nervous system disseminate this information bioelectrically during the earliest stages of a body's development? Levin invited Herrera Rincon to get her scalpel ready. Herrera Rincon's brainless Xenopus levis tadpoles grew, but within just a few days, they all developed highly characteristic defects. Those defects weren't just near the brain, but as far away as the end of their tails. Their muscle fibers were also shorter, and their nervous systems, especially the peripheral nerves, were growing chaotically. It's not surprising that nervous system abnormalities that impair movement can affect a developing body. But Levin says the changes showed that the brain helps to shape the body's development well before the nervous system is even fully developed, and long before any movement starts. USC neuroscientist Gil Carvalho says the fact such defects could be seen so early in the development of the tadpoles is intriguing. He points out that the new data shows there's an intense dialogue between the nervous system and the body from the very beginning of development, not just the later stages. Carvalho describes it as a window into the inception of the brain-body dialogue that's so central to most vertebrate life, and he calls it quite beautiful. He says the results also raise the possibility that these neurotransmitters may be acting at a distance by diffusing through the extracellular space or going from cell to cell in relay fashion after they've been triggered by a cell's voltage changes. Herrera Rincon and the rest of the team didn't stop there. They wanted to see whether they could rescue the developing body from these defects by using bioelectricity to mimic the effect of a brain. They decided to express a specific ion channel called HCN2, which is sensitive to cells' resting potential. Levin compares the ion channel's effect to a sharpening filter in photo editing software. It can strengthen voltage differences between adjacent tissues that help maintain correct boundaries of where tissues are supposed to go. To make embryos express it, the researchers injected messenger RNA for HCN2 into some frog egg cells just a couple of hours after they were fertilized. A day later, they removed the embryo's brains. And over the next few days, the cells of the embryo acquired novel electrical activity from the HCN2 in their membranes. The scientists found that this procedure rescued the brainless tadpoles from most of the usual defects. Because of the HCN2, it was as if the brain was still present, telling the body how to develop normally. Levin says it was amazing to see how much a simple change could rescue the tadpoles from defects, and it was the first clear evidence that the brain controls the development of the embryo via bioelectric cues. 
As with Levin's previous experiments with bioelectricity and regeneration, many biologists and neuroscientists hailed the findings, calling them refreshing and novel. But Huang says you can't really call it a step forward because a single experiment with tadpoles' brains isn't enough. Huang says it's crucial to repeat the experiment in other organisms, including mammals, for the findings to be considered an advance in the field. Still, he says the results open an entire new domain of investigation and a new way of thinking. Min Zhao is a biologist at the University of California, Davis. He's an expert on the biomedical application and molecular biophysics of electric field effects in living tissues. Zhao says Levin's research demonstrates that the nervous system plays a much more important role in how organisms build themselves than previously thought. He says this is the first paper to demonstrate convincingly that this also happens in the developing embryo. Olivier Soriani is with the Institut de Biologie de Valrose National Center for Scientific Research in France. He says Levin's results abolish the frontier by showing that electrical signaling from the central nervous system shapes early development. Soriani says that means the bioelectrical activity can now be considered as a new type of input encoding organ patterning, allowing large range control from the central nervous system. USC neuroscientist Gil Carvalho says the work has obvious implications for the treatment and prevention of developmental malformations and birth defects. He says the fact that the findings suggest that interfering with the function of a single neurotransmitter may sometimes be enough to prevent developmental issues means therapy to prevent defects may sometimes be simpler than anticipated. Levin speculates that in the future, we may not need to micromanage multitudes of cell signaling events. Instead, we may be able to manipulate how cells communicate with each other electrically and let them fix various problems. Another recent experiment hinted at just how significant the developing brain's bioelectric signal might be. Herrera Rincon soaked frog embryos in common drugs that are normally harmless and then removed their brains. The drugged brainless embryos developed severe birth defects, like crooked tails and spinal cords. Levin says the results show that the brain protects the developing body against drugs that otherwise might be dangerous compounds that cause birth defects. So it doesn't come down to whether a chemical causes birth defects, as previously thought. Levin says we now know that it depends on how the brain is working. Harvard biophysicist Adam Cohen says the findings are impressive, but a lot of questions remain. Cohen studies bioelectrical signaling in bacteria. He says it's still not clear exactly how the brain affects developmental patterning under normal conditions when a brain is intact. To get those answers, researchers need to design more targeted experiments. For instance, they could silence specific neurons in the brain or block the release of specific neurotransmitters during development. Although Levin's work is gaining recognition, the emphasis he puts on electricity in development is far from universally accepted. UC Davis biologist Min Zhao says epigenetics and bioelectricity are important, but so are other layers of biological information. He says they work together to produce the biology we see. He adds that we need more evidence in order to shift the paradigm. He says we're not there yet. 
But former UC Davis molecular biology professor Richard Nucitelli says for many biologists, Levin is on to something. Levin's more than 300 papers have been cited over 10,000 times in almost 8,000 articles. Nucitelli says that's a great indicator that his work is making a difference. Back at the lab at Tufts University, Celia Herrera Rincon finishes preparing another petri dish full of bean-like frog embryos. She says they've demonstrated a proof of principle, and now they're working on understanding the underlying mechanisms. And as she washes her scalpel and removes her lab coat and gloves, she says she has a million experiments in mind. Michelle Yoon helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Katya Moskvich's full article, Brainless Embryos Suggest Bioelectricity Guides Growth, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Music